Honestly, guys, Grown Ups 2 was released in 2013, three years after the original. So what I want to mm-hmm. know is, when's number three coming out? Because I really want to <laughs> see it for some reason. I must be a masochist or something. <laughs> yes. All right, that was Motley Crue with Smokin' in the Boys' Room. Everybody knows that Smokin' ain't allowed in school, and everyone knows that counting cards ain't allowed in casinos, but some bad boys do it anyway. Today, we're talking about people who have hacked the odds. Such a tenuous, People who have figured out a way to get an advantage (laughs) in a game that is supposed to be rigged against them. My name is Rain Man, and I am joined, as always, by Lucky Lucky. (laughs) Hello. And a guy who loves to bet on the ponies, Brad. G'day, guys. All right, I just want to. I, I just want to say up top, Brad and I had schemed behind the scenes <laughs> to only call you Rain Man this episode because you are so autistic, and this is about counting cards and stuff, like Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man, and you just fucking. You just ruined the whole thing. The only yeah. thing Brad and I have ever schemed together on this podcast. Took the wind right out of our sails. And you fucking... Ah, oh, it just makes me so angry. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what that is. That was uh, that was Dustin Hoffman uh, spurging out. Ah, when Tom Cruise told him he had to go on a plane. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is Rain Man himself. Yeah. So yeah. thank you, thank you for uh, ruining that for us. No Oops. worries, we had something special, and yeah. you ruined it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I haven't ruined your uh, beer review, so do you want to crack open a cold one with the boys? It's time to crack open a cold one with the boys. Now you may not have ruined my beer review segment, but I sure as hell have. Um, <laughs> we're recording this a day later than we usually do. And I was at work, and I forgot to get a beer. So, uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus I, uh, when I got home, it's, it's even worse because I work in a bottle shop. Uh, <laughs> where, just before we were, started recording, I went to my fridge, and all I have is uh, Heineken Longnecks, which, A, I'm pretty sure I have reviewed on this <laughs> podcast before, and B... It's not new to me, so I'm not like I'm not trying something new. So, do you want to crack it open and but, tell us uh, what you think? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to anyway. Like I'm gonna drink it. If I can get the fucking thing open. Um, yeah. yeah, I like it. Good. <laughs> Safe bet. I knew, that, I knew that going into it. Yeah, it might be why it was in your fridge in the first place. What a fucking shit show of an episode this is turning out to be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're talking about people who have beaten the oh, odds. Shit. Let's get started. Um, let's just indulge me here for a second. Okay, guys, so casino games, betting games, any form of gambling is designed so the house will win. After all, why would you let people play against you if you were going to be at a disadvantage? There is a concept of probability called expected value, and it really means average value. If you play roulette, for example, you can put $1 on a number, and you'll either lose that dollar or get back $35. But that $35 figure was chosen carefully. If it was $37, then the casino would be breaking even in the long run. If it was more than $37, they'd be losing money. But because it's less than $37, they will win. Sometimes you'll get lucky, 
but every time that wheel spins, your expected value is negative five cents. The casino wins, averages a win of five cents per dollar per spin. There's another concept in probability called the law of large numbers. If you flip a coin 10 times, you might get eight heads. But if you flip a coin 10,000 times, there's no way you're going to get 8,000 heads. All those weird pockets of lucky streaks are eventually evened out by weird pockets of unlucky streaks. You can have a lucky night if you go out gambling, but you're not going to have a lucky life if you go out gambling every weekend. However, some people have found a way to flip the odds. They figured out a way to get a positive expected value. Sticking with the roulette example, there was a Spaniard named Gonzalo Garcia Paleo who went to his local casino and studied the roulette wheel. His belief was that if the wheel wasn't made absolutely perfectly or it was tilted slightly, then certain numbers would be more likely to come up than others. After staring at the wheel for literally thousands of spins and recording the results, he identified the hot numbers and the not-so-hot numbers. By betting exclusively on the hot numbers, he was able to flip the expected value from negative 5 cents to positive 15 cents. The casino wasn't too happy with him, and so he moved on to another casino and started the process all over again. He did this until every casino in Spain would refuse him entry, and then he went international, (laughs) playing the wheels in Las Vegas. Legend has it that this guy finished his gaming career with a profit of $1.5 million. Small time. Small time. (laughs) Blackjack is one of the few games where the flip in expected value can occur naturally. Many movies and TV shows include scenes about card counting at blackjack tables and everyone is aware of it. Well, at least they are now. A mathematics professor named Edward Thorpe figured it out in the 60s. The flip occurs because there are several decks in play and the dealer has rules about when he or she hits or stays. If the deck becomes stacked with more high-value cards than usual, then the expected value flips to be in the player's favour. Thorpe and his financial backers managed to win a quarter of a million dollars over a period of three years. That's about $2 million in today's money. In the next decade, in the 70s, Keith Taft tried Thorpe's method. Taft was a man obsessed with blackjack, but his puny, non-autistic brain was not able to keep track of the cards well enough. (laughs) He was no rain man, that's for sure. Oh, I guess that means something different now, because I'm Rain Man. So, he was he was no me, you know. You're Rain Man all the time, mate. His solution was to build a machine that he could hide under his clothing. He counted cards by tapping his toes. After the prototype was successful, he made a less bulky version and went all in with it. In the first week of using this machine, he won $40,000. Oh. Taft is the main reason that the state of Nevada later passed a law making it illegal to aid your gambling efforts with electronic devices. However, two decades later, a group of 200 IQ MIT students would use their (laughs) non-electronic brains in the same way that Taft used his machine. A major motion picture starring alleged homosexual pedophile Kevin Spacey (laughs) was released based on these students' escapades on the blackjack tables of Las Vegas. For legal reasons, Morgan has to say alleged, but... Well, the pedophile part's uh, alleged. He admits he's a homosexual. He is absolutely a homosexual. He is absolutely a rapist. Uh, But it's alleged that those people he raped were underage. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, so there's a movie based on these guys, which I will not be reviewing today in everybody's favorite segment, Morgan's Movie Review. Uh, so, guys, as a mathematician, these guys are like rock stars to me. I love this <laughs> shit. But uh, how do you guys feel about it? Oh. Are you as hard as a diamond in an arsenal? This is, you're in your element. I want to start off by saying that was an excellent rundown, Rain Man. And uh, <laughs> I didn't care for the movie. That was all right, but I don't think it was anything he didn't like. He didn't like 21. Yeah. I thought it was okay. I mean, it was too Hollywood. Yeah, that's fair enough. I thought Kevin Spacey was really good in it. I yeah, s- to be I fair. S- I still think that even though he is an actual rapist, um, but- You I- have to separate the artist from the rape. The- <laughs> Separate the art from the rapist. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, um, yeah, no, anyway, I, I like the idea of people uh, hacking the odds. I like the idea of people, um, you know, turning things in their favour oh, and yeah. uh, beating the system. But do you like yeah. it because it's like a testament to human intelligence and ingenuity or do you like it because it's sticking it to the man? Both. It's got to be, I, I like it because sticking it to the man. It's like a big faceless evil casino that's robbing people of their livelihoods, getting screwed, you know. <laughs> Casinos yeah. aren't robbing anyone. You don't have to they go are there. there. You don't have uh, to go into a casino. No, I know. It. It's you just know like, what I mean. I get really pissed off with all the people who are like, oh, fucking pokies should be illegal in Australia. We have the you know highest pokey usage. That's uh, for our international listeners. International listeners, that is video poker machines or yeah. slot machines. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's people saying they should be made illegal and you shouldn't be allowed to have them. Just don't fucking put your entire paycheck into the machine. It's not hard. Like, just, just, just don't don't spend all your money in the pokies. No one's forcing you to walk into that RSL. Look, you don't it's, have to do it's it. a fact of life, Lachlan, that people are retarded. How about we let people do what they want with their own money and they can be I'm not held saying make them illegal. I, 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 don't, I don't think... It's just the deceptive practices. It pisses like me the off. Fact that there's like one tiny exit hidden in this giant showroom floor. There's no lights. There's no, no it's clocks. It's just nanny state like, bullshit. No, shit like that is just deceptive and it's designed to trap people. Have you You've been to a casino. Yeah, but you know... Sure. Yeah, I have. But you know yeah. it's deceptive. Don't go in there. No, I, look, I, I'm not saying they should be illegal. I'm just saying it doesn't hurt. It doesn't upset me when they get robbed for millions of dollars. That's all. <laughs> oh, that doesn't upset me. But I just, I just think it's stupid that people oh, think no, that these I, grown adults need to be babysitted. If babysitted, babysat. Wanna- Piss me off so much I can't talk properly anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if idiots want to go in there and pour their paycheck into it and have their kids starve to death on them, like that's yeah, you do you boo. But <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think they should be illegal. I just yeah. I don't. I don't. I'm not crying for casinos losing money when the odds get flipped on them. No, me either. All right. Well, I'm glad we got that sorted out. Uh, Lucky, do you want to regale us with a time that a person flipped the odds into their favour? I do. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about uh, roulette. Um, so Morgan, Morgan just told us about uh, Gonzalo Garcia Paleo, who is. Widely regarded as the first person to uh, beat Roulette. Um, I'm going to talk about another man who perfected the art. He uh, took what Gonzalo... I don't even know if he knew about Gonzalo, actually. Um, I do want to briefly talk about a friend of mine who believed he had a system to beat Roulette. (laughs) Um, 
according to this friend, <laughs> if you every time you lose, so you bet on roulette, say you bet a dollar. If you lose, you bet on the same number, but you bet two dollars. If you lose that again, you bet four dollars. And you double your money every time. Double your money every time you lose until you win. Apparently, according to him, in this system that he worked out, you are guaranteed to win money as long as you constantly double your bet on the same number every time it loses. Now, Morgs, you could probably tell me whether the maths on that is sound or not. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned this, Lachlan, because one of my friends used to work right next to Crown Casino, and he asked me about this strategy. He said if, you know, theoretically, if he had enough money, could he just bet $100, and uh, if he won, just go home with $100, and if he lost, put on 200 and keep doing that. So, I wrote a I wrote a program in R, which is a uh, program for writing. Yeah, it stands, for, it stands for Rain Man. <laughs> <laughs> um to do to do simulations based on it and basically um you would need such a large bank to do it that it wouldn't if you if you had enough money like if you had millions and millions of dollars to do it then you wouldn't waste your time trying to win a hundred dollars at the casino <laughs> and because you would you would need to account for those really really unlikely situations that it was you know there was 15 black in a row or something like that i mean it's gonna happen well, not 15, like 10 black in a row is like one in a thousand chance, but it is going to happen if you go to the casino every day for 10 years. Mm. Yeah. So eventually you are going to go broke unless you have such a large amount of money that you wouldn't bother wasting your time with $100. But it's because of the expected value. Yeah. It's always against you. Well, yeah. that was my friend's problem. He did not have such a large amount of money that he could just continue <laughs> uh, doubling his bet over and over and over again. Because when you just double it, it grows exponentially and gets into the hundreds of dollars fairly swiftly. Uh, and I think I actually sent you the code that I wrote and like the um, my results from it. Yeah, and you perhaps. told your friend and he still didn't believe you. Yeah, he's a fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> Does he listen to this podcast? I don't think so. Uh, what's, anyway. what's, what's the initials there? Hang on, I, I need to know if it's the same person I'm thinking of. Uh, I'm sure it is. Anyway, um, <laughs> Richard Jarecki is the man who actually beat Roulette. Ooh, so, nice. you, you've probably been told that Roulette is a game of pure chance, not skill. <laughs> if you've listened to our episode on lottery winners, you will have heard Rain Man over here prove that you can't beat games of chance. <laughs> but that's all just deep state propaganda. Richard Jarecki <laughs> was born in Germany in 1931 to Jewish parents. This man's story has nothing to do with luck. <laughs> Throughout the late 60s, Jarecki visited casinos across Europe with his wife but never placed any bets. He wasn't there to gamble, he was there to watch. Richard would sit for hours at a time watching the roulette tables. What he was looking for is called a biased wheel. A European roulette wheel has 37 numbers on it, 0 to 36. And on a perfect wheel, the ball has a 1 in 37 chance of landing on each number. 
but in our imperfect world, it is functionally impossible to build a perfect roulette table. Tiny imperfections like scratches in the wood, too much or too little glue, a table that's not entirely level, and loose pocket separators are just a few of the hundreds of factors that can shift the odds of the ball landing on any particular number. This is a biased wheel, and this is what Morgz was talking about earlier with our friend uh, Gonzalo. Now, you could spin a biased wheel a hundred times and probably not see any irregularities. But what about a thousand times? What about 10,000 times? That's when patterns start to emerge. Jarecki would pay friends and family to watch and record the results of tens of thousands of spins and then analyze the numbers to figure out where the ball was most likely to land. He had this down to an almost perfect science. In 1969, he told the Sydney Morning Herald, I experimented until I had a rough outline of a system based on the previous winning numbers. If numbers 1, 2, and 3 won the last three rounds, I could determine what was most likely to win the next three. After months of collecting data, Jarecki scraped together his $100 life savings and headed to the casino. (laughs) A few hours later, he walked out with $5,000. His system finally validated. He got a $25,000 loan from a Swiss bank (laughs) and spent the next six months hitting casinos all over Europe. By the end of this run, he had won $625,000, which is around $6.7 million today. (laughs) This blitzkrieg earned him quite a lot of notoriety. Word got around very quickly that this German had beaten Roulette. Not wanting to give away his secrets, Jarecki told the media that he had access to a supercomputer in London that told him which numbers to pick. (laughs) Having become an absolute bowler, Jarecki bought a luxury apartment near Casino San Remo in Italy, where he had found a particularly biased Roulette wheel. In 1968, he cleaned them out three times, so they banned him for two weeks for being too good. On the night the ban expired, he went back and left with an IOU for $100,000. Oh, my God. (laughs) Trying to outsmart him, the San Remo began moving their wheels between tables at the end of each night. But Jarecki was too damn good. He knew every minute detail of these wheels and could recognize them instantly. (laughs) Eventually, they resorted to replacing all 24 of their roulette wheels, which are very expensive, conceding it was the only way they could stop him. He is a menace to every casino in Europe, the owner of the San Remo said in an interview. <laughs> I don't know how he does it exactly, but he never if he never returned to my casino, I would be a very happy man. Jarecki responded that if the casino owners don't want to lose money, they should sell vegetables. <laughs> All told, Richard Jarecki made $1.25 million playing roulette, $8 million in today's money. Happy that he had beaten the game that was supposed to be unbeatable, he retired to the Philippines and lived off his winnings until he passed away, aged 87, just last year, probably surrounded by hookers and cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Massive respect. Get some F in the chat. Uh, for the, in the uh, chat for yeah, that. He, uh, yeah, he, he, he just he figured out a system and he just took it to the extreme. He just kept playing over and over and over again and no one could figure out how he was doing it. Yeah, he did the old supercomputer decoy. Yeah, oh, it's not me. It's a supercomputer. Well, this is this is the late 60s, early 70s, so no one knows anything about computers. If you say a supercomputer did something, you're going to believe 
Yeah. I just love that they, he's like, if he never comes back, it's like, just ban him then. <laughs> yeah, we, if he's leaving with an IOU, just say, fuck it, we don't want your business anymore. Well, he wasn't doing anything wrong, that's the thing. Like, they couldn't figure out how he matter. was doing it. It's not like they yeah, could but- see him counting cards or anything. Hmm. Surely they would say, we have the right to refuse service to anybody oh, they, for any reason. they absolutely reason. do, but um, I, guess it's, I guess it's bad press. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I just particularly enjoy that at the end of his career, he just decided to pick on this one hotel, yeah. San Remo. Uh, like he, he even bought an apartment just near there, so he could keep yeah. going back every night. <laughs> Do you think he like he used to walk in and pick on this one particular wheel, this one particular yeah. table, because it was like extra bias? And then one night they move it, and then the next day he walks in and he's like walking around, and then he just he sees that it's been yeah. moved, and he just goes over to that table, and they're like, motherfucker. <laughs> How do you do it? <laughs> I certainly hope so. Uh, I just, that's just, it just blows my mind. Honestly, you, you, how, how does the IOU writing go? Like, is it just on like a, <laughs> on the back of a coaster or something like that? Because surely they don't have these written up ready to go because they've never been cleaned out before. Yeah, I don't know. He just, he just kept taking all their money. You think they do? <laughs> That's got to be a low point as a casino owner when you At have to ride stage, out an IOU. He actually cleaned them out twice in one night, so he took oh. all their money and then kept playing while they went to the bank to get more money, <laughs> and he cleaned them <laughs> out again. <laughs> Holy shit! Oh. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Um, I'm I'm going to tell a story about a, a similar sort of story about a math magician who figured something out. So. <laughs> was it was it um, you? No, you are a you are a math magician. Yeah, hit us with the Raymond. Uh, a guy called Jerry Selby who figured out how to scam the scammers. Mm. Yes, that's right. This motherfucker figured out how to beat the lottery. Ooh. Not just any, not just any lottery. The terms of most lotteries are made by math magicians themselves to make sure the house always wins. But this one particular lottery in Michigan State called Windfall was different. Jerry Selby retired in 2000, and after that, he spent most of his time pumping around at the local corner store. One day in 2003, he saw a flyer for a new lottery that just started in Michigan. In Windfall, tickets cost $1 each, and you choose six numbers from the set 1 to 49. If all of them come up, then you win the jackpot, which is guaranteed to always be at least $2 million. But there are almost 14 million combinations of these six numbers, and there are only 10 million people in Michigan, as well as multiple state lotteries and a national lottery, or several national lotteries, so this jackpot was not hit very often. The gimmick to this new lottery was was that whenever the jackpot hit $5 million, the winnings were guaranteed to be paid out, even if no one matched all six numbers. So those who matched two, three, four, or five numbers would get much more than the usual payout for matching that many numbers. Oh. Jerry did some mathematic right there in the store <laughs> and realized something. Two plus two is four. Minus one, that's three. Quick maths. <laughs> if the jackpot climbs above five million and the roll down is activated, the odds are suddenly in your favor. This happened, on average, only about seven times per year. Mm. The first time it happened, Jerry went to the corner store and spent hours and hours printing tickets. He bought 2,200 tickets at oh $1 each. After the numbers were drawn, he sorted through his tickets and cashed the winners in. 
he got back twenty one fifty. So he lost fifty dollars. Oh. This is where Jerry's math skills really started working. Their math and magic. <laughs> he lost money, but what was his mistake? What did he do wrong, guys? He didn't buy enough tickets. Exactly. He didn't bet enough. (laughs) The law of large numbers states that the more times you do something, the closer and closer you'll get to the average value or the expected value. The expected value of a ticket was higher than the cost of a ticket. So the more tickets he bought, the more likely he was to get that average value. The next time the roll down was activated, he spent $3,400. 3,400 tickets. After he checked them all, he got back 6,300. Nice. He doubled his money. Nice. Now, Jerry didn't want to let his wife know that he was spending (laughs) thousands of dollars on lottery tickets, so he initially hid them from her. He sorted through the tickets at the local corner store. Next time he played, he spent $8,000 and got back $15,700, again, almost doubling his money. Nice. Now he was suddenly rolling in cash, and he was sure his system worked. He took his wife on holiday and spilled the beans. From then on, their retirement consisted of a few crazy days in a row of buying thousands and thousands of lottery tickets together, sorting through them, and collecting their winnings. And then, long stretches of lazy days where they could spend all these stacks on stacks on stacks, just waiting for the next roll down. (laughs) What would you do if you had a betting strategy that almost always paid off big? Well, Jerry started a company called GS Investment Strategies LLC <laughs> and started taking money from people so he could bet even more every time there was a rollout. Oh, my God. He's- <laughs> he solicited money from his six kids, a total of $18,000, to play the first time that the rolldown occurred. But there was a catastrophe. Someone won the jackpot and therefore the money didn't roll down. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, no. The- The kids lost almost all of that $18,000. But Jerry, the stoic captain of this ship in a storm, was unnerved. Oh, well, just an unlucky break, he told them. Oh, no. His kids trusted him and kept investing. And it was a good thing they did. Business started booming and profits started soaring above $150,000 per roll down. Whoa! What? When you have large enough investments and time enough to count tickets, the profits can get huge. All was well for GS Investment Strategies, LLC. (laughs) Nothing could stop them. In May of 2005, Windfall was replaced by Lotto 47, which did not have a roll-down feature. (laughs) This stopped them. Jerry and Marge Selby had made Wicked Bank, but all good things must come to an end. Actually, though, it turns out this wasn't the end. An investor in GS Investment Strategies, LLC, told Jerry that Massachusetts had just introduced a lottery game called Windfall. There are a few slight differences, but it was the same idea. Jerry busted out the calculator and did some back Big Shack style quick maths. Two plus two is four, minus one, that's three quick maths. <laughs> this version of Windfall was also worth playing. In fact, this version of Windfall cost $2 per ticket, so really they cut their workload in half. On the other hand, they had to drive to Massachusetts, which took 12 hours. Uh, They found a small convenience store and told the owner they wanted to buy $100,000 in lottery tickets. Oh, my God. (laughs) The owner, naturally, was intrigued and agreed to let them stand there all day printing tickets for some shares in GS Investment Strategies, LLC. But $100,000 is child's play. They decided to split up. When another small business, Jerry's Diner, also agreed to let them print tickets all day in exchange for shares in their company. Their system worked perfectly for five full years. Unbeknownst to them, 
a group of students at MIT had also noticed the exploit in Windfall Lottery and were doing the same thing. One student was researching different lottery games for a project, figuring out the expected value of each game when he realized that on roll-down weeks, the expected value suddenly was in the buyer's favor. Random Strategies LLC was born. (laughs) These motherfuckers were ruthless as well. After the Selbys had gotten in on the Massachusetts action, the MIT students realized that their profits were declining slightly and figured out they must have competition. Therefore, on more than one occasion, they placed giant bets just before the draw when there wasn't going to be a roll-down week. Their reason? To tip the jackpot over $2 million, triggering a roll-down just before the draw so the Selbys wouldn't be able to get to Massachusetts in time to buy tickets. Oh, genius. Uh... Meanwhile, they had already purchased huge numbers of tickets so they could take the lion's share of the profits that week. Another example of their unscrupulous tactics was when one member approached Jerry at his ticket kiosk one week with a proposition. Let's take turns. You bet one roll down week and we won't bet at all. And then the next roll down, you stay in Michigan and we'll bet. But Jerry was having none of it. He thought that was unethical and didn't want to be part of any collusion. (laughs) Anyway, the hijinks of the MIT students, meaning their strange betting patterns, captured the attention of lottery officials, government workers, and journalists. All the worst kinds of people. (laughs) (laughs) When stories started breaking about the loophole in Windfall, the public was outraged. The narrative was that, on non-roll-down weeks, the public was losing money, which was then won by these shady groups during the roll-down weeks. They were subsidising the massive profits of these maths geniuses. Oh, how far Massachusetts has come. They once gave the middle finger to authority and dumped tea in the (laughs) harbour. They once lined the roads of Lexington and Concord and shot redcoats coming to take their guns. They sparked a revolution against a tyrannical government... But now they were asking their overlords to stop people from printing tickets at a convenience store. They weren't hurting anyone or bothering anyone. The state treasurer put in regulations to try to reduce the ability of high rollers from exploiting the game. The two businesses the Selbys frequented had their lottery license removed for allowing the Selbys to buy tickets outside of business Ah, hours. Get out of here. And the treasurer put a cap on the number of tickets that each business could sell so high rollers couldn't stay in one place printing tickets all day. Amid increasing public pressure, Windfall finally changed its structure in 2011, so the expected value of a ticket was always less than it cost, even on roll-down weeks. Think about that. The public pressured a lottery company to worsen the public's (laughs) odds. Oh, man. The scam was over. All up in their windfall career, the Selbys had spent $19 million on lottery tickets. The vast majority in Massachusetts. They had won back almost $27 million for a profit of about $8 million. Not bad for eight years of work, especially when you're retired. Holy shit. Oh, that that's crazy. It, the amount of time that would go into printing, say, like 100,000 lottery tickets. Ah. And then checking them. Worth it for yeah. millions of dollars, though. Yeah, I know. I just don't know how, like, it's possible. How many people do you have to have checking tickets? Well, it was it was just the two of them. It was just the Literally a two-person two operation. Like, they well, didn't have anyone else checking. I got nothing else to do. They're retired. <laughs> when they, when the roll-down week happened in Massachusetts, they would drive there. Yeah. And then they would buy as many... They would just print tickets all day. Yeah. 
and then the draw they the draw was done one night yeah and then the next day they would be in their motel room because they didn't have a place in massachusetts they'd always stay in a motel yeah and they would just count tickets uh, for 10 hours a day but like how long does it take you to check your ticket like are we talking about they wouldn't oh, not, not like the they're not the scanning ones, so are they? They're just manually going through. No, yeah, just no, check they, the numbers. They, would, they had a pencil and they just circled the, the numbers that were correct. And then if, if the ticket was a winner, they'd put it in one pile. If it was a loser, they'd put it in another pile. And they did that for 10 hours a day for 10 days straight. And then they'd go and cash them in. Holy shit. That 10 is 10 hours a day, huge. 10 days straight. I would suck dick for 10 hours a day if it meant I was going to walk out with $8 million. <laughs> Yeah, over eight years though, it's a lot of effort. Like I, I a lot of dicks. It's I'll a lot suck of dicks. that dick. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> eight million dollars, bro. It's just, it's a lot of effort. Um, like going through there manually but, and circling. Because I know, like in Australia, you can scan a thing, or if you buy it on like an app or something, it just tells you if you want. Yeah, yeah, like a digital ticket. So like going through and circling numbers, so that's fucking. Oh yeah, if they That's crazy. if they could have if they could have like an account on a betting website and yeah. just purchase a <laughs> hundred thousand tickets all at once, yeah, and then they they would automatically pick out the winners. That would have saved them literally hundreds of hours, yeah, probably yeah. thousands of hours Morgs, over those years. How do you feel about the uh, mathematicians who set the rules of this game that allowed this to happen? Do they do they uh, bring shame to your profession? <laughs> Um, Very dishonorable. His I profession wonder... being a full-time autist, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Professional rain man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I. I wonder if I wonder if the people who designed it did know that on roll down weeks there was going to be a. Um... Yeah, they were the MIT students, and they just what they just <laughs> thought that nobody would uh, figure it out. I guess not that nobody would figure it out but just that even if somebody did figure it out that they were still going to make money in the long run cuz it, it the roll down only happened once every uh, seven seven times a year so oh. probably once in every seven weeks so say in on that roll down week the lottery company lost half a million dollars well yeah. if they're making like a couple hundred uh, thousand on the other weeks, then you know yeah, okay, it's okay fair, that they lost fair. it on so, that week. Yeah, they they knew it was better odds. They just didn't care because they were still yeah pulling in money hand over fist. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And by, was... I'm not surprised that the one in Massachusetts was exploited. Those MIT motherfuckers are ruthless. Mm. If well, there is that, if there is a numbers that... game to be exploited, they will figure it out. Well, yeah, isn't it interesting that the MIT was the place where they um. The students got together to do the card counting. Yeah, the and MIT then it's also the place team. where they figured out the um The MIT Blackjack team ran for like thirty years. They had like over five hundred members over its lifetime. Like they, it's just mm. it's so it's like organized crime. Is is there a big <laughs> casino in Massachusetts or were they going out to no. Vegas? No, they were going, no, they're going to Vegas. out to Vegas. Yeah, okay. Every weekend they just fly to Vegas. They were fucking balling. They were making fat stacks. Staying in five-star hotels and shit. Fair enough. That's right. Yeah, yeah that sounds like pretty good love. Having their dick sucked <laughs> yeah, for it. 10 hours at a time. <laughs> <laughs> well, by Lachlan. Yeah. Just trying to some money. Lachlan's um, supple mouth. There is not a lot I would not do for $8 million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a million dollar salary. I mean, they did work for it, though. They were fucking so long counting tickets oh, and yeah. stuff. I- I'm impressed by the hustle, honestly. It was a, it was a, like a... It would have been a really interesting life because, well, an interesting workload because when there was a 
um, roll down. They would drive to Massachusetts. They'd spend seven days at his fucking convenience Shitty stores printing tickets, tickets all day. Stores. And then they would spend 10 days counting tickets. So, there's like a full 17, 18 days. And then they drive back to Michigan and they just fucking do absolutely nothing for like a month waiting for it to happen again. Like, like there's just like, like they were both retired, so they just could It's like FIFO out. work or whatever, fly in, fly out. Like yeah, <laughs> two weeks on, two weeks off. Exactly. It's it's high intensity for a short period of time. And then yeah, yeah. definitely worth it. But what do you guys think about the um the public in Massachusetts trying to get these Idiots. Um, Absolute oh, idiots. Tread on me, yeah. Daddy. Tread harder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, enough said. That's uh, I can't believe that. That's the that's the state where outrageous <laughs> games too revolution fair. started. <laughs> yeah, oh, fucking idiots. Bullshit. All right, bad. Do you wanna do you wanna give us some? Yeah, mine's a mine's a little different. It's not casinos or or betting games. It's actually two game show winners who oh. hacked the odds, so to speak. Um, the first is Terry Nice, and he was uh. The first person to ever get the showcase on the Price is Right correct to the dollar. Mm. <laughs> now, this has never happened in its uh, 45-year span. Like, through Bob Barker, Drew Carey, no one has ever got... They've been within a couple of dollars. They've been... You know, oh, obviously, you win both showcases if you're within $250. Skinny Drew Carey freaks me out. Oh, I know. I'm with you. Skinny Drew Carey is just... It's not the same. <laughs> um but essentially, uh, in September 2008, Terry Nice uh, was a contestant on, on the um, Price is Right. And he got to the contestant showdown, which for anyone who's not familiar is the, the first one where you've got to – they show an item and you've got to pick a price without going over. Um, closest person uh, gets it. If you get it on the dollar, you also win the, win the item as well. Um, he – got what was called the big green egg, which was a grill, some sort of gimmicky grill, got it on the to the dollar. So it was $1,175. Guessed it straight away. No hesitation. Bang. <laughs> uh, so he gets to come up. It must and be gets, one pretty fucking sweet grill if it yeah. costs $1,175. Oh, it looks pretty sweet. <laughs> oh, man. But it you does also know. look like a big green egg. Barbecues are fucking expensive, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, he got up and the game he had to play was called Switch, which is where you switch the prices between... They show you two items. You've got to guess which one's more expensive, which one's less expensive. There was a mm-hmm. computer versus two exercise bikes, but he incorrectly saw that as one exercise bike. Uh, oh. So he got that wrong, which um, sort of screwed him, but whatever. Can't even count. This man is Hang about on, to make Sorry, does back. that imply that two exercise bikes was worth more than the computer? Yes, correct. What kind of fucking exercise bikes are these? Oh, expensive exercise bikes. Get one at Kmart for 40 bucks. Uh, no, these are prices right <laughs> exercise bikes. Ah, fuck that. Anyway, um, so for in the new format of the prices right, they have the big wheel, which is at the end everyone gets a chance to go onto the showcase. You've got a spin um, on the wheel is denotions five cent denotions all the way up from five cents to a dollar. A dollar is jackpot. You win a thousand dollars for hitting the dollar. Um, closest to a dollar without going over uh, wins essentially. So he spun ninety cents. The other I think there's two or three contestants at the time. They spun over ninety over a dollar, so he went on to the showcase. Um, and what happened is he was offered on the showcase. <clears throat> well, sorry, there's another person who goes on to the showcase as well. I'm sort of running through this quickly. Mm-hmm. But um, she had actually won a bigger prize that day, so she got to go first and choose whether she wanted to pass or pick or pass on the showcase. And she had won a car, so don't feel too bad for her in the end. <laughs> anyway, um, 
The first set of prizes was a karaoke machine, a pool table, and a 17-foot camper trailer. She passed on that. Definitely. And, <laughs> well, yeah, always, there's always a showcase with a car. If the first one doesn't yeah. have a car, you pass. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Hacking the odds with Lachlan. That's right. Um, <laughs> anyway, Terry locked in a, a total of $23,743 with very little hesitation if you watch the video. He he looks around for about two seconds and he goes, $23,743. And Drew <laughs> Carey uh, exclaims at the time, that's a very precise guess. <laughs> this is foreshadowing. Um, his competitor then had the chance, her showcase consisted of four holidays. Holiday to Canada, South Africa, Scotland, and Chicago, all first Oh, class. no car. <laughs> Oh, yeah, two first countries. Yeah, too so bad my system's, <laughs> system's ruined already. Mm. And she locked in $30,525 with some hesitation. Nah, not even uh-huh. close. Rubbish. And at this point, they cut to an ad break. And oh. Drew seems a little off. He says, we'll reveal the riddle when we come back. Anyway, behind the scenes, the uh, the producers were freaking out because they knew he'd nailed it on the head. Like They, they thought were, he was cheating. They thought he was cheating. They thought he was cheating. And wow. so they told Drew Carey this, and he is quoted as saying, in his mind, he was like, fuck this guy. This guy's a cheater. The episode <laughs> is never going to air. So anyway, they come back from the ad break, and Mr. Carey announces that the competitor has had a very good guess, and she was only $494 short, guessing $30,524, and the retail price was $31,019. So oh, shit. Okay. Guess. I thought it was yeah, way was- off. Nah, she was pretty close. Um, But then he goes, and Terry, you've nailed it. It's $23,743. But no fanfare. He just seems annoyed. (laughs) And Terry's like, yeah, oh my God, I won. You know, going crazy. And the show just sort of finishes. Anyway. (laughs) What? Yeah, it's it's like Drew Carey just walks off the stage and they just cut to him and he's like hugging his family. That's it. Like there's no like, oh my God, you're the first person in history to ever hit this showcase. On the on the number, like on the head, which also means he wins both showcases. By the way, yep. so he won a a, a total of fifty four thousand seven hundred sixty dollars sixty two dollars worth of prizes. Then um, again, he had to go to South Africa. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Terry accomplished his feat. Okay, he was not cheating um, by religiously watching the show after the death of his Maltese dog. Aww. Yeah. So him and his wife loved the dog. They had the dog for 15 years and they felt bad and they wanted something to do together. So every night they would watch The Prices Right. They'd tape it and watch it together. And Aww. he used to, he was a former meteorologist and was very acute, like picking up details. And he also worked in a casino after he retired, um, catching <laughs> card counters. So he had an oh. eye for detail. Like he would be the guy who spots it. Oh, this guy's good. So, and his wife was also a math magician. So they sat there, and after watching for months and months and months, they picked out patterns. Like, the prices are always the same on certain items. Um, so when he went on the show, he, he didn't actually uh, cheat. He was just doing the maths in his head. Essentially, he said that um, it's $1,000 for a pool table. The uh, Sorry, $1,000 for the karaoke machine. It's between two point eight and $3,200 for the pool table, depending on the thing. So he went with $3,000. Uh, and he said it was about $1,000 per foot for a camper. But he incorrectly, this is funny, incorrectly heard the camper as 19 foot instead of 17 foot. And then he also added on his PIN number for the, <laughs> the last thing, <laughs> which off. was 743. Seven, so he ended up with a figure of 23,743. That's how he did it. That's what he said. But 
<laughs> by sheer coincidence, there was also a veteran um, Price is Right contestant in the audience sat next to his wife, and his name was uh, – I've just lost it here. So. It's Ted Slaus, I think, Slausen. Um, but essentially, he'd been on the Price is Right um, – 30, yeah, Ted Slauson, sorry. Uh, he'd appeared on The Price is Right 37 times and been a contestant once, and he'd never, huh. he'd correctly guessed in the showcase, the, the price of the, the contestant showcase, correctly guessed the, the price to the dollar on his game on stage, but then had lost out at the big wheel because he spun 50 cents uh, total uh. with two spins. So he never made it to the showcase, but had he got to the oh, showcase, yeah. he would have made it. Uh, he also locked in in, a guess of $23,743, but he used, he had massive spreadsheets collating data from all the way back from 1989, and he knew the price to the dollar. He just remembered it all. Um, and he was also a mathematician. So um, they they didn't want to pay um, Terry because they said that he was uh, collaborating with an ex-producer who'd been fi- fired two weeks previously, and when they couldn't find uh-huh. a link, they realized that he was sat next to Ted Slauson, so they said that he was signaling him, which is what everyone does in the audience anyway. So Yeah, that's right. They're, all, they're all that. yelling at you. Yeah, they couldn't pin him on that. So then they were like, all right, we have to pay you out, but you're cheap. Anyway, <laughs> he was like, okay, whatever. He said that Terry said that his one regret was being too perfect because if he'd been off by a couple of dollars, he would have got both showcases anyway and no one would have cared or accused him of cheating. So... Um, <laughs> Essentially, that, that was Terry's story. He had to sell the karaoke machine, the pool table, and the camper van to cover the taxes on the prize. Oh, and, that is fucking bullshit. Fuck taxes. He kept the grill, and he said he enjoyed all of his holidays, except he wasn't planning on going to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Get shit on Chicago. <laughs> that's outrageous. You win, like, I, if you win money and they take a chunk of the money, it's oh. like, that's annoying. They're shaving it off. But when you win a bunch of stuff and then you have to sell that stuff in order to cover the taxes on the yeah, stuff, you have to oh. pay that's fucking outrageous. It's outrageous. TV shows like game shows should cover the tax. I, I don't know why they pass the bill on to, onto the contestants. Or it just they make should sense. not, the government should not take that tax in the first place because yeah, yeah, taxation that, but- is theft. <laughs> like, he won it fair and square. Like, yeah. why are you taking stuff off it? That's bullshit. Yeah. What's the government going to do with a karaoke machine? <laughs> CIA parties, Christmas Imagine party. If they just took the stuff instead of the money. <laughs> Repo man, they just install they a karaoke just take machine. Thirty percent of his camper trailer. Mm. <laughs> um, um, there is actually an episode of How I Met Your Mother where Barney Stinson does something very similar to what you've just described, Bradley. Yes, yes. Spends months studying the show and figuring out exactly what everything costs. Yeah. And uh, he, too, was worried about the big wheel. That was the only part of his game that uh, mm. Well, it's the only thing that's perfect. complete luck. That's right. Unless you build Many a chance. scale replica and then test spinning it or something like that to get good. Truly yeah. hacking the odds. Yeah. But um, assume, like, he, he got past the, the big wheel, spun a 90, which is very good. Um, mm. Yeah. There's a good chance you're going. So, short of someone getting the 95 or the 100, which is... Unlikely, but, you know, not impossible. Um, yeah. Probably about a 10% chance. <laughs> Shit. Um, <laughs> my second guy is Michael Larson, who's another game show contestant. Uh, he played the game Press Your Luck in June 1984. And essentially, the game consists of two rounds. The first round, you answer general trivia questions, and they give you spins, which you get to spin on the, the small board. And after answering the small, he only won three spins on the first thing. 
um, because his general trivia was very weak. Uh, but after his general trivia, he had three spins and he had a total of $2,500. But this man, it was a forethinker. He wasn't thinking about the small board. He was thinking about the big board in the second round. So <laughs> after, after the second round of questions, he had seven spins and he went on to win a total of $110,000. $237, which of that 104950 nice. was cash, and he also won a trip and a sailboat. God damn. So, Michael Larson achieved this big board win by doing the exact same thing that Terry Nice did, recording episodes, watching them, and he noticed that there was only five patterns that they displayed, and he realized that in the 18-square board, squares four and eight didn't show up the whammy, which cost you a spin. And if you ran out, if you got whammied enough, you lose all your prize money. So he realized if he could get squares four and eight, they contained the big money and the prizes and no whammies. So essentially he would sit there for months on end, just pausing it when he thought he needed to, which is simulating what you do in the game is hitting a button. And after months and months of doing this, he took out all of his life savings, took a trip oh. to LA and auditioned for the TV show. Initially, he was rejected by uh, the contestant supervisor who thought that there was something off about him. (laughs) Um, But later, the executive producer said, nah, give him a shot. Kid's crazy, but whatever. Um, It's good TV. (laughs) So when he he absolutely robbed him, like, because there was only five patterns and he knew when to hit the button. Um, He had 37 prize, like, uh, presses of the button in the second round, which won him his $110,000. He hit the four square 20 times and the eight square 15 times and then the other oh. two prizes the other two times. So the trip and the, uh, the sailboat. I don't know <laughs> needs a fucking sailboat. But, um, <laughs> Who doesn't need a sailboat? Oh, that but, can be the thing that you sell so you can pay your fucking ridiculous taxes. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially they confronted him after the TV show and they said, you were cheating. And he said, I'm not cheating. I just realized that you only play five boards and I knew when to hit the button. <laughs> and... Figured was, you out, guy. Yeah, and they were like, uh, okay, and they, technically there was no rule against doing that, so they paid him <laughs> out. And he was an enterprising man, Mr. Larson. In 1984, he withdrew all of his $104,000 in $1 bills because he'd heard about a competition oh, no. that if you had the correct serial number for a $1 bill, you'd win a, th- you'd win a prize of $30,000. Oh, Jesus. So he went, you know what? I'll take out my $104,000 in $1 bills. <laughs> so... He did that. Didn't have the correct zero number. <laughs> so he decided to put 50 of it back in the bank. The other 55 he kept in his house in $1 bills. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was until Christmas time when he got burgled and lost all of it. No! <laughs> but still, right. enterprising man and not uh, he's prone to landing on his feet. So in 1994, he decided... Um, to sell part of a foreign lottery, which is highly illegal, and immediately became a person of interest to the SEC, IRS, and FBI who all opened investigations <laughs> on him. So he went into hiding, and he stayed into hiding, in hiding, sorry, uh, until 1999 when he died from throat cancer in Florida. Oh, he was only guy. 49. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, so F's in the chat for Michael F in Larson. the chat. Yeah. And, uh, Lived large. At the time, it was the largest win on a game show in history. So, just to, to give you an idea, they, the contestants averaged probably about $10,000 on a really good day. Oh, Jesus. Hey, oh, so, awesome. 104000 Hit that 000. out of the park. Yeah, he smashed it. Good work, um, Mr. Do you think the, 
the guy who burgled him and got $50,000 in $1 bills. <laughs> I can just imagine that guy like going into a jewelry store to buy some bling or something. And he was like, I'll take that diamond necklace. Just make it rain. And then he's just like, here's, here's like a, a box of one. <laughs> Two, <laughs> three. <laughs> I just like the idea that he only got himself into that stupid situation because he was like, "I'm going to take a hundred and four thousand dollars out <laughs> in one dollar bills <laughs> to see if I, I have this serial number." Oh, imagine, mate. imagine the bank when he walked in and yep. said, "Can I empty my account and get one dollar bills out?" Uh, like, why did they indulge him? Why weren't they just like, "No, we, we can't do that. We're not going to do like that." It's like that Fuck guy off. that Morgan talked about in our episode on lottery winners who had like fifty five thousand dollars in his car and it just got stolen <laughs> no it was like 200 yeah it was like 200 yeah. oh jesus christ yeah uh, uh, it was while we're uh while we're talking about game shows actually i just want to uh use that as a little bit of a segue um i actually have an audition for millionaire hot seat uh oh, i really? will have i will have been to that by the time this episode comes out oh. i believe uh and yeah. If I, if I get on and get on TV, I'm going to name drop the podcast and uh, people oh, can come yeah. and listen to this episode. So, hello, Millionaire Hot Seat viewers. How are you? <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this. <laughs> oh, shit. And, you embarrass uh, us. Hopefully, I did not uh, make an embarrassing mistake and answer some stupid fucking question with some stupid fucking answer. If you Actually, embarrass us, you're kicked off the podcast, man. That's that's awesome. Like, yeah, I'm I'm excited mm. for that. I've got a I've actually got a funny. I got fucking mad about general knowledge, bruh. Mm. I got a funny um anecdote about millionaire hot seat. I started um work at this place last year, and I met a guy uh, in the morning, and he said that he was on millionaire hot seat the night before. Because other people were like, oh, I saw you on TV last mm. night. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And he was up to the last question, which was worth like, I think it was like 10 grand or something like that. Nice. And he got it wrong. So, he won $1,000. Oh, no. yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, what was the question? And he goes, yeah, it was, um, what was the name of the boat in the movie Jaws? And oh, I just went, no. oh, Orca. You know, oh, no. Orca's- <laughs> you piece of shit. <laughs> I went, you know, because orcas the only yeah you know, killer whales are the only animals that have been known to attack sharks. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh no, great white sharks! And then he just like looked at me like I was a fucking jerk. <laughs> and then I was like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Wasn't like he, you didn't, were a he jerk, didn't like you give me he didn't give jerk. me the ABCD. He was just like, what was the name? I was like, oh, that was the orca, obviously. <laughs> oh so, man, fuck me. Um, fun fact: my mum was on the chase. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cat, I, Cat I saw I yeah. saw the end of that episode. Actually, it was very exciting. Yeah, she sucked. Oh, <laughs> how long ago was this? Um, a year, year and a half ago. Yeah. Oh, I was okay. talking to uh, our old teacher, Bradley, Mister John Schlank, just Schlank this Daddy. afternoon, Schlank. and uh, he you was still on talk the to Schlank? chase. Yeah, he Man. he shops uh-huh. at my work. He was oh, on the chase a couple of weeks ago. Uh, filmed it while he was on school holidays. Oh, that crazy and, uh, one-eyed bastard! His episode will be coming up soon. He couldn't tell me whether he won or not because apparently you have to sign an NDA and they don't pay you until the episode actually airs. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So, oh, if, if it gets onto social media or anything between now and the episode airing, if he won uh, anything, he won't get it. Well, at the, risk of, at the risk of outing him, 
Uh, <laughs> clearly he did win because it's not like he can win a small amount on that show. You either win a lot of money or you win zero dollars. So if he won zero dollars, he wouldn't give a fuck about this non-social group. <laughs> wow, just actually, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. Uh, you've outed Schlank now. You've that's cost right. him his millions. I'm going to cut this that, out anyway. I'm going to cut this part out anyway. It's not very interesting for the listeners. That was some uh, big Shaq star quick logic. That was and, some um, fucking Sherlock Holmes shit, bruh. <laughs> yeah. We're genius. All right. It's time for everybody's favourite segment, Morgan's Movie Review. Oh, shit. I wasn't ready. Morgan. (laughs) Morgan. Morgan. Morgan's Movie Review. This is a very sloppy episode. The Hangover 2009 (laughs) is the last of the great comedies. An amazing soundtrack. An amazing Uh. soundtrack, a unique premise, and genuinely funny jokes makes this film an instant classic. It also launched the career of Zach Galifianakis, for better or for worse. (laughs) (laughs) Doug is about to get married and takes his two best friends to Las Vegas for a bachelor party. Unfortunately, however, the bride-to-be insists he take along her brother and Havoc in shoes. They all wake up the next morning with no memory of the previous night. The groom is missing and there is a tiger in the bathroom. Bradley Cooper and Ed Helms play the straight men perfectly in this movie. They really allow you, as the audience, to feel the absurdity of the whole situation and empathise with their plight. They are constantly bombarded with the idiocy and terrible judgement of Galifianakis, and they have to contend with the balls-to-the-wall crazy Ken Jong, who provides probably the greatest quote and hand gesture of the movie. <laughs> If you haven't said goodbye to your friends by fake masturbating and saying, so long, gay boys, then (laughs) how much do you really love The Hangover? (laughs) Throw in a hilarious original song written and performed by Ed Helms, as well as a great cameo from Mike Tyson, and you've got those extra special little touches that take this from a funny movie to a comedy classic. It seems like the naughty orties was the last great decade for comedy films. I think every profitable movie since 2010 has been a kids' movie or a superhero movie, but I repeat myself. Fuck Seriously, it. Google <laughs> Google 2010's comedies, and you'll see the abject mediocrity of comedy coming out of Hollywood in the last 10 years. Then compare it to the amazing lineup you see when you Google 2000s comedies or 90s comedies. Whether the genre is dead or just dormant, only time will tell. Hopefully there will be a resurgence in the 2020s, but if not, then The Hangover, scraping in at 2009, was a hell of a way to go out. 9 out of 10. Oh, fair. Yes, good good movie. Very good movie. Yeah, I didn't realise that there's been hardly any good comedy movies since 2010. 21 Jump Street, I think, is the only good one. I'm just looking at the top 10 comedy movies of the 2010s. Oh, here we go. All right, should I start from... I'm going to steal your Brad's power rankings. Uh, um, I do not. Number 10, Get Him to the Greek. Kind of suck. Yeah, no. uh, no. Number 9, Bridesmaids. Haven't seen it. I assume it sucks. No, no it's terrible. No, that's pretty good, actually. It's number terrible. 8, This Is the End. That was actually... Yeah, I, thought yeah, it, I thought it was okay. It's got a 6.6 yeah. on IMDb, but I thought it was okay. It was okay. No, I enjoyed that. Uh, number 7, Hot Tub Time Machine. Not good. No, not good. Number 6, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. I wouldn't really call it a comedy, but no, it's a very good movie. No. No, I enjoyed good. it. Number five, The Other Guys. Oh, fantastic movie. Cemented Mark Wahlberg as a comic actor. Number four, (laughs) Neighbours. Seth Rogen, Zac Efron. I thought it was pretty good. It was pretty good. It wasn't great. I thought it was pretty good. I wouldn't put it above The Other Guys. Number three, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Come on. Fantastic movie. Not a comedy. It is. 
Yeah, it is good. It is a comedy, but it is it is good, but it's also a wacky sort yeah. of Number weird. two, Ted. Eh, it, was, yeah. it was okay for the first watch. I wouldn't watch it again. Didn't see it. Uh, and number one, Pitch Perfect. I here's a here's a controversial opinion for you. I actually really like Pitch Perfect. I thought it was a very good movie. No way. I didn't like it as a comedy, but uh, I, oh, I like you. it. A, I like it as a movie. You've already, no already embarrassed us listen, now without going on listen, hot seat movie. Get out of here with your fucking toxic masculinity, okay? <laughs> it is uh, current year. Men are allowed to like chick flicks. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like some of those movies are okay. But if you compare it to the ones from the two thousands, you've got Step Brothers, Superbad, oh, Anchorman, yeah. Oh, yeah. Forty Year Old yeah, Virgin, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hangover, right. Telling um, School. Yeah, wedding crashes. Yeah. You know, All come right. on. You have made your point. So, yes. Tropic Thunder. Well done. Oh, Tropic Thunder. Dodgeball. Come on. N- Dodgeball. Never go. Never go full retard. Mm, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's just it's night and day. Twenty tens versus two thousand. <laughs> All right, we are running over. Let's get your uh, power rankings out of the way, yeah, right, Brad. Do it. Let's do it. Power rankings. Alright, boys, we'll smash through this one. I do it! Alright, it's not an angry one. So, <laughs> everyone, you can release your buttholes because I'm not <laughs> on a rampage. Alright. Top five biggest game show winners. Oh, oh nice. Yeah, so, this is okay. more of a factual one. Um, so, number five John Punching Darts and Fucking Tarts Carpenter. <laughs> That's his nickname. I don't know what you want to say. Um, This fucking dude. Not only was he the first winner of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, like ever, he did it with mad style. I'll let the man himself explain. Lachlan hit it. He's got to come on the line, read a question, four possible answers. One of them is the right answer. And uh, the next voice you hear will be John's. John, you've got 30 seconds. Starts right now. Uh, Hi, Dad. Hi. I don't really need your help, but I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to win the million dollars. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> he won the million dollars. One of us. Fucking motto after that. He kept Holy his lifeline all the way to the million dollar question and then used it to call his dad. Uh, that's a bull That's That's going to be me uh, when I go on millionaire hot seat. You should get a phone a friend on millionaire hot seat. Well, you can ask. You can ask your friend that you brought in the audience. <laughs> All right, number four, Brad kicking goals and filling holes. Rudolph. <laughs> I don't know why these guys have weird nicknames. But, you know, uh, <laughs> All right. Although Brad Ruder is technically the most winning game show contestant of all time. With a whopping four million eight hundred eighty-eight thousand four hundred thirty-six dollars of prize wow. money. He's not the top of this list because he only managed a measly $2.1 million in a single attempt. <laughs> Better luck next time, chump. Rookie numbers. <laughs> Rookie numbers. Got to pump those numbers up. Got to pump them up. <laughs> All right. Number three. James Balls to the Wall, Holhauser. <laughs> now, to say that my man, Holhauser, decimated the competition is putting it lightly. On a 33-day streak on Jeopardy, he amassed $2 million 
uh, two million four hundred sixty-four thousand two hundred sixteen dollars in prize money. Jesus. Whereas most people in Jeopardy play it safe and bet only what they can to stay in the lead. My boy threw it all at Trebek and said, "Keep the change, you filthy animal." <laughs> <laughs> the previous one-day record was seventy-seven thousand dollars. Holzhauser averaged seventy-four thousand six hundred seventy-three oh. per episode. Jesus wow. Christ. He is the only person to break the $100,000 mark in an episode, a feat he achieved six fucking times. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm a massive Jeopardy fan, so just the idea that someone would get $100,000 in one episode is oh. mental, because like, I've seen like thirty grand maybe once, twice. He'd go to Final Jeopardy and bet it all. Oh, like, he's a, just mental. He was what mental. a mad lad. Absolute mad lad. All right. Number two. Andrew... <laughs> Snorting crack off a stripper's rack's crevice. <laughs> <laughs> weird, weird dick. Um, <laughs> crevice appeared to be appeared on the poorly named The Million Second Quiz. What the fuck that means? What? Um, seriously. In 2013. Uh, Hang on. So is it the million one second, second quiz? Or is it the quiz that goes for a million seconds? It, I don't know. That's why it's the poorly named, the million second what quiz. What a fucking... Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, he won $326,343 in the main competition and then a further $2 million grand prize. The producers rounded up the total to a cool $2.6 million to try oh. and trump our next entrant on the list. Ooh. Ooh, foreshadowing. Number one, Ken Big Dick Jennings. <laughs> <laughs> this dude dominated Jeopardy. He went on a tear, winning seventy-five consecutive days, and amassing two million dollars five hundred twenty-two thousand seven hundred dollars in prize money. While technically he won less than second place, fuck that guy. We all know who the real OG is. <laughs> it's my boy Ken Jennings. Me and Morgs, we watched this guy play. He was a fucking animal. He had a yeah. correct answer percentage higher than anybody else in Jeopardy history. It's ridiculous. He was just a, a machine. Absolute boss. Absolutely boss. Ken Jennings, I salute you. That's my power rankings. All right. Very just nice. a little uh, fun fact. Brad used the word decimate in there. Uh, decimate actually means to reduce something by 10%. Huh, there you go. Hmm. Fun fact. Yeah. Never gets used <laughs> properly. It just gets used to mean like you destroyed something. But uh, hmm. yeah. Well, you've reduced it. Yep. <laughs> You've only got a little bit off the... Yeah. All right. On that fun note, uh, I think we'll end the episode. So thanks for that little tidbit there, Lachlan. Uh, No worries. Uh, And thank you, Morgan, for uh, being here. Thank you for dressing up for our episode. Morgan's wearing a (laughs) lovely uh, collared white shirt tonight. Mm, It's beautiful. Uh, Dressed up to go to the casino, I guess. Uh, And more importantly... Thank you, listeners, for listening to our, uh, well, I was going to say, you know, all our efforts, but really this episode's been pretty sloppy. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for listening anyway. Thank you for bearing with us through this bullshit. Um, You can check us out, of course, wherever you're listening to us now, but you can also get to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, uh, whatever podcast platform you prefer. You can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm on Twitter as well, at Lachlan Glenn. You can follow me. Uh, you can get 
such hot takes like me recently complaining that uh, Natalie Portman is going to be the female Thor in the new Thor movie. That really pissed me off. Um, <laughs> and all of that shit you can get on our website, bradisabadperson.com. And while you're typing that URL into your address bar, you should also type it into like a message, send it out to your friends so they can listen to us as well. <laughs> Get your friends involved. That'll, that'll do it, boys. Yeah, Thank you again, everyone, for listening. Uh, you know, just if. if Stop if, fucking rambling. I don't know, man. How do I finish it? It's over. Peace ah. out. Bye.